Welcome back to Balagan. I'm Kobe Cohen. And what can I tell you? Another Balagan in Israel. On Wednesday, April 6th, Israelis found out they may stand in front of what may look like another round of election. When MK Edith Silman of Yamina, Prime Minister Bennett's right-wing party, announced she is leaving her role as de facto government whip and exiting the coalition due to what she called Hametz observance in Israeli hospitals disagreement with Minister of Health Nitzan Horowitz of Meretz, which is the left-wing party in the coalition. Are we really facing a new round of election? How can uh, the, coali- the coalition work in such a deadlock? And what the future will bring? For that, you know, trying to be a prophet, I have my dear friend, my lost boy here, who comes back to us, Jeff Becker. Jeff, welcome back to Balagan. That's good to be back. It's been a while. It's been too long. But now that we have a new Balagan in Israel, uh, maybe it's time to, you know, להחזיר עטרה ליושנה. Yeah, let's, you know, first things first, we need to go over who actually is Edith Silman. So that's a great question. I mean, uh, so Edith Silman is some sort of an old new member of the Knesset. She started her political career at the Mafdal party, which is the original, some will say settler, some will say modern Orthodox or Kippot Srugot party in Israel. where she started her political career. She led the women's uh, faction of the party. And at one point, you know, uh, Hamafdal, the Mafdal turned to be the Jewish home led by uh, Rabbi Rafi Peretz. And after she wasn't elected to the Knesset, she moved to Yamina party with Naftali Bennett. When Naftali Bennett uh, joined this, uh, I would say, led by Yair Lapid's effort to form what they love to call the change government or the change coalition, the change bloc in Israel, it seemed like Edith Silman was one of his best partners in the party. If we will go back to what happened to Naftali Bennett after he announced that he's going to become prime minister, forming the coalition with Lapid, he had two defectors, actually one defector and one uh, member of the Knesset who... quit the Knesset. That was Alon Davidi, the mayor of the city of Sderot in the south. He decided that it's not for him, but he had the dignity to quit his role in the Knesset and go back to Sderot and uh, go back to be the mayor. The other one was Amichai Shikli, that from day one, once they announced the coalition, he didn't vote with that. And actually today, which is we're uh, recording on April 7th, He is considered to be a defector, which means that he cannot play almost any role in the Knesset. He cannot uh, vote in a vote of confidence. He cannot become a minister or a vice minister. And the most important, he cannot join forces with any other party. And if he wants to run in the next election, he will have to form his own party. which is a real stretch, because if we remember, the threshold is 3.5 of all votes. So that's, a, that's Edith Silman, you know, um, in a glance, as I like to say. So you said that um, Edith Silman was one of the close party members to Naftali Bennett, even when he made the controversial decision to go against the will of most of his right-wing voters to go into a government with 
rum, the Islamist party and the left. But what should also be taken into consideration is that Edith Silman was under a ton of pressure, yes, both politically, but even personally, to essentially leave Yamina and help torpedo this coalition. So maybe talk about the amount of pressure she'd been facing for the last couple of months, specifically. So that's a great point. Even though she, you know, her official reasoning or excuse, you know, depends on what your uh, perspective on this situation is, on why she's leaving the coalition. From day one, when she announced that she's going to support Bennett's efforts to uh, become prime minister, she was targeted as one of the weak links of Yamina party. It was her, it was another MK called Nir Orbach, who also comes from uh, the Jewish home. I'll start by saying that Naftali Bennett is trying to act well as a prime minister, but he is eventually a reckless uh, politician. If you will look at his track record and his history, he was jumping from party to party. He never tried, you know, to build strong foundations for his ruling over his party. If we'll compare him to his role model, the head of opposition, Benjamin Netanyahu, then you can say that Netanyahu is, has a strong grip on his party. Bennett never had it with his uh, members of his Knesset. If we'll go back, he had members of the Knesset like Inon Magal, who's a strong uh, Netanyahu supporter, Caroline Glick, Jerusalem news reporter, and a strong uh, Netanyahu supporter. And they were aligned with his parties. So the only one that I can say in his party that has his back, 99%, is actually Matan Kahana, who's the minister of, uh, of uh, religious in Israel, because they go way back from their army service. They both served in uh, Sayeret Makal at their early years. And they stayed really close friends. But outside of him, I don't see that Naftali Bennett really has any allies. If we'll go back to what happened with Edith Silman, the right wing knows how to put an effective opposition. And they started casting, just like they started the protesting in front of Naftali Bennett's house for days and nights, they did the same thing in front of all of Yamina party Knesset members to put pressure on them so they will not vote with the coalition. It was mainly hard on Nir Orbach and, and Edith Silman because they were actually, until this day, I believe that, you know, um, MK Nir Orbach is suffering from what Edith Silman suffered until two days ago, which was a constant harassment on their kids in schools on their spouses, in their synagogues, and in front of their houses, having constant, you know, loud protests. But in the last couple of days, Edith Silman did started to shift. And some say that actually it was uh, Gidon Saar, the leader of a... Uh, New Hope. New also Hope, right, yes. Also, also a right-wing party. Also a true right-wing party. He left, that, he that's, left in the, that's also part of this change coalition. Just it is a part of the clear. change coalition. And by the way, unlike Bennett and his members of a uh, party, against uh, Gidon Saar, nobody's putting any demonstrations. And you know why? Because Gidon Saar said it from day one. 
If you want Netanyahu as prime minister, don't vote for me. I'm a right wing. I'm not going to go with Netanyahu because Netanyahu is not really helping the right wing. Now, since he was clear around it, you know, nobody in the right wing has claims. I mean, they do have claims for everybody, but they don't focus on him because all of his members knew from the beginning that if you are running with new hope, you are running to replace Netanyahu and not to vote for him again as a prime minister. But the thing was that she, she remained in touch with Bezalel Smutrich, the leader of uh, religious Zionism. And in the last couple of days, one of Netanyahu's closest allies in the Likud, Yariv Levin, remained also in close contact with Edith Silman. They now, you know, she's saying that it's not, but uh, Netanyahu said it in his own words. And the Likud said that they promised her that she's going to be the next Minister of Health in the government that the Likud uh, will form, but um, we need to speak about if the Likud can form any alternate uh, government. That's a different question. And also, when we're looking at uh, you know uh, the track record of uh, Netanyahu's promises to other politicians, we can see that uh, uh, promises and uh, what happened in real life didn't work out. <laughs> no. So what happens next? So uh, before Edith Summon left the coalition, they were barely hanging on to a majority. It was only they only had a one vote majority. And now that Summon's left, it's gone. So it's 60-60. They can't really pass any legislation because they don't have the majority. So what happens now? So technically, they can pass a legislation. Depends if they get a majority in the Knesset. Now you are right. We have a tie of 60-60. It doesn't mean that we are going to an election. Let's start with that. It doesn't mean that the coalition can't malfunction. I can tell you that in the past, we already had past governments that work with a minority in the Knesset. If we'll go back, the first one was the Rabin government in 1974. After the Mafdal left the coalition because of the F-15s crisis, when we got the first F-15s to Israel, they landed just right before Shabbat, and some ministers and the, the people who were in the ceremony, they could not observe Shabbat if they were at the ceremony. The Mafdal left the coalition, and the coalition kept on functioning with 58 uh, members of the Knesset. Another, uh, what we called narrow coalition, was in actually 1981. The second coalition that uh, Menachem Begin formed was laid only on 61 uh, members of the Knesset but he was still able to function. Then the second Rabin government in 1993, after they passed the Oslo Accords and Shas, the ultra-Orthodox Sephardic party, left the coalition, Rabin's coalition actually relied on the Arab parties, but they were not a part of the coalition. And the weirdest case that I can say about is actually 1999. And that was a different time of election because at that time we voted in two votes. One was for prime minister, the other one for the Knesset. And Ehud Barak, who was the elected prime minister, actually led a coalition that at its peak had 75 members of the Knesset. But as time passed, he remained with only 32 members of the Knesset. It was impossible to function. 
but nobody could replace the government because, you know, he was elected directly. So he could remain as prime minister, but he couldn't do anything. He was a, how you call it in English, a lame duck or um, how do you call it? Lame duck. Lame, lame duck. duck. Yes, exactly. So he was a lame duck. So technically, this coalition can continue because the only way it can be replaced is by one of the three options that are available. The first one is that the Knesset will find a majority of 61 members who will vote for what we call a constructive vote of confidence. And then they have to come up with an agreed alternate prime minister, which means They are voting non-confidence for this government, but they have to offer an alternate government. I don't And see that happening, even though they now, you know, they are close to get in, a, in theory 61. Because I, we I do need to remember that out of those 60 members of the Knesset that are, you know, with the opposition, six of them are the joint list, the Arab party, and they will never go with Netanyahu. The other option, do you have any question about it or... You want me to go to the next one, to the next option, Jeff? Next option. Okay. The next option is if the government failed to pass a budget, like what happened in the last government. In this case, you know, the government actually passed the last budget for two years in December. So we have at least a year and a half until the next budget needs to be passed. So they are safe with that. The third option is if the members of the Knesset decide they want to go to an election, then you need to have another majority just to dissolve the Knesset. In this case, after the Knesset passes, they vote for it three times in a row. It has to go through three rounds of voting, and you have a strong majority of 61. Then the Knesset dissolves, and 90 days after, we will have the election. But since Almost a third of all of the members of the Knesset are new ones. And since most of them has a really low chance of being re-elected to the next Knesset, I don't see this option uh, happening because who wants to lose their job? You know, it's like I'm going to shoot myself in the head for something that, uh, you know, may get a chance of me re-elected. And I don't see that happening. So basically, out of the three options you listed, you don't really see any of them happening. So you don't think that the Knesset's going to disband and go to new elections. You don't think that there's going to be a vote of no confidence and creation of a new government on the spot. And with the budget, I mean, there's still a year and a half until that even comes into question. So what's the real option right here? The government's just going to operate as it would and You know, what's the, what about the possibility of members of the joint list who are in the opposition right now with Likud and their right-wing partners just abstaining from voting against the current government and allowing them to pass legislation? So let's go back to Edith Silman, because I think that the main question is now, is will Naftali Bennett be able to get a hold of his party? Okay. He started with seven members of the Knesset. He's already down to five because we have Amichai Shikli that, as I said, he's a defector. He's going to have a hard time. And I think that's going to be the last time we'll see him in the Knesset. The reason they decided to announce Amichai Shikli as a defector is to try and force Edith Silman 
to resign from the Knesset. She doesn't have to do that. She's not obligated for that because uh, in Israel, even though I just want to put it in a context, you know, we are a parliamentary system. The whole state of Israel is one voting uh, zone. And technically, you don't vote for anybody in person. You vote for a list. But once you voted for the list, everybody is being elected as a member of the Knesset. In theory, can be his own satellite. You know, they are not that obligated to the list. So she can remain a member of the Knesset. But I think that, you know, they're trying to put leverage on her because if she resigns, she can go and be with another party or do whatever she wants. But if she doesn't resign, if she doesn't quit the Knesset, and then they declare her as a rebel or as a resigned, uh, as a um, poresh, as a quitter, I don't know... um, Defector, a quote rebellious member of Knesset. Rebellious or defector, then she cannot run in any other party. She cannot be elected, you know, if she's going to declare as as a defector and Netanyahu is able to form a coalition and he promised her that she's going to be the next uh, minister of uh, health, he cannot uh, fulfill his promise, even though we know that Netanyahu is not that good in keeping his promises, but never mind, let's put it aside and think that in this case, he really wants to make her the the Minister of Health. So they are trying to put leverage on her, and I think that in this case, Naftali Bennett also tries to put pressure on other members of his party, because now Nir Orbach, you know, as I said, another member of the Knesset that is under a lot of pressure, comes and says that we need to start rebuilding in the, you know, the West Bank, and another uh, member of the Knesset, Abir Kara, who's leading the, you know, what you call the independent workers in Israel, is also uh, setting uh, an alliance with the Ayelet Shaked. So things are not looking well for Naftali Bennett. I will say for Israeli democracy, by the way, that things are not looking that well, because Naftali Bennett's legitimacy as a prime minister was questioned from that day one. And the main reason he was questioned from day one was because even though what he did and what the coalition did to give a leader of a small party the role of the prime minister is something that never happened before in Israel. It was always the tradition that the leader of the largest party is leading the coalition and is the prime minister. And what Naftali Bennett did, I understand why he did it, but, you know, I think that democracy-wise, it's it's wrong, because leg- legitimacy-wise, it's wrong, uh, was that he chose to become the prime minister in order to get into this coalition and get Benjamin Netanyahu out of office. Time will tell if he'll be able to get a hold of his uh, of his party because I don't see that they're gonna you know stay strong until the next election, and honestly I believe that the right wing will dissolve the coalition with Yair Lapid, and Yair Lapid may become you know the transition government prime minister, but it doesn't really have any effect on anybody. And I actually think that once we're going to another round of election, if Lapid is not going to be, you know, the unity government prime minister, he should not take the chance of becoming um, transition government prime minister because he can't do anything. And I think it's going to be wrong for him. So you say your biggest concern right now is 
of Bennett losing control of whatever party members he has left in Yamina and then going all renegade and what voting to dissolve the Knesset with the rest of the right wing? Yes, definitely. I think that, you know, Yamina party are the weakest link in this coalition. But I do think, and let's be honest, in this case, that Horowitz, you know, the Minister of Health, actually played into Edith Silman's hands and he gave her a great excuse to resign because he chose to be, you know, the biggest defender of secular Jews. And technically what he did, and I, that's in order for us to get it also into context, so what's happening is that when you observe Hametz laws in Israel, it's a tradition that you don't bring Hametz. How do you say Hametz in English, by the way? It's Bread. just Hametz, right? Because uh, it's for us Jews, so it's okay. We don't have a we don't have an English word for it. It's like breadcrumbs. Yeah, but breadcrumbs are a part of the Hametz. Also, bread is a. Anyway, the thing was that you know we have an Arab minority, part of the Muslim, part of them Christians. And we also have secular Jews who don't observe the Hametz and they do eat bread on Passover. The thing is that in recent years, the ultra-Orthodox try to get more and more hold of the public sphere. So they started demanding from hospitals, which are not uh, governmental uh, you know, territories or anything, to start searching in people's bags so they will not bring Hametz into the hospital. Now, I will say that the hospitals themselves, they don't provide Hametz food for any of the patients. They do provide kosher for Passover food. But there was a ruling saying that the hospital could not decide for anybody who comes from outside if they would like to eat Hametz or they don't like to eat Hametz. So in theory, if I have a family member or a friend who is hospitalized and I want to bring them a pita, I can bring them the pita. Nitzan Horowitz, that is not enjoying his days in the coalition, and as I like to say about uh, a lot of the left-wing parties, same is here in the U.S., you know, the progressive movement, they like being righteous instead of being smart and right, okay? He decided that he's going to go to war over this ruling, and he sent a letter to all of the hospital CEOs telling them that they need to make sure that this ruling is observed, okay? Now look, let's be honest, it's poking in the eye for the ultra-Orthodox and for religious people in Israel. Why don't you just, you know, talk to them quietly and uh, let them do what they, you know, let them do their, their own job, okay? They will figure out a solution. He decided that he's going to be the loudest voice in the room around it, and he gave the right wing and the ultra-Orthodox their, uh, what you call, flesh of blood. Because now they say, you see, the left is not connected to Judaism, they don't care about Judaism, and it has to be, we are a Jewish state, you know, uh, right-wing parties cannot be in such a coalition. Whether this coalition is going to hold, as I said, I doubt it if uh, Lapid is going to be the next prime minister in this coalition. He may become in another coalition the prime minister. But I don't see it happening because I don't believe that uh, Bennett will uh, keep his promise to, to trade places. The way I see it is that Bennett and uh, Gidon Saar will try to form a new party for the next round of election, and then we'll see what will happen.
I guess time will only tell. Yeah, but sadly I'm saying it, you know, the lack of stability in Israel is, is ridiculous. I mean, if we are talking winners and losers here, so I can say that a short-term winner is, of course, uh, you know, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and Smutrich and the right wing, you know, the hard right wing, they were able to pull a, a member of the Knesset to their side, but at a really hard cost, because eventually, you know, the lack of stability in Israel only hurts the Israeli democracy, it hurts the people, you know, and there is a way to be an opposition. But they decide that they are going to break all the rules. They are doing things that actually in past, they were controversial. You know that the Likud party is actually, they are banning the Knesset's work. So none of the Knesset committees is functioning. And that's insane because we need to remember that the Knesset has a really strong role as supervising over the government's work. And if the opposition is not doing their work, besides of screaming in the streets, what do they do? What are they being paid for? But Israelis, by the way, don't see it that way. Because if you look at the polls and what I spoke about Naftali Bennett's legitimacy, you can still see that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is leading by far, you know, in the polls, giving them 35 to 36 mandates. He's now leading the Likud party with 30. In theory, if we go to election now, he's going to get 35, 36 mandates. After him, we have Yair Lapid with 17 to 19 mandates, same amount of seats. So you're also asking yourself, what are the members of this coalition doing if they are unable to grow their power, even though a lot of them are doing great work, and I will mention that Merav Michaeli is doing a lot of work. Uh, she's the, the leader of the labor, and she's doing great work in the Office of Transportation, promoting a lot of reforms with public transportation for the benefit of the people. Um, we have Omer Barlev, who is the uh, Minister of Security, how do you call it? Interior, uh, public security. Public security, sorry. Who's also working really hard on trying to stabilize, you know, all of the violence in the Arab sector, working really hard and close, by the way, with the Arab leadership. And you have ministers that are doing their jobs. I mean, uh, a lot of them are trying to promote reforms, but if they are not heard and you don't know about it, you're still going to vote for what you used to know, you know, like the the how do you call it the the known old versus the unknown new and if they will not shift gear you know or won't change uh, in all time we used to say on vinyl records that you need to how do you say it is shift the record you know what vinyl records are right jeff no i'm uh, too young for that oh my god i haven't been to a museum in a while <laughs> Oh my God, those, this young generation, they don't know anything. <laughs> you guys will probably starve to death if uh, Yelp and all of the food apps are going to die one day. <laughs> anyway, going back, a lot of people just, you know, if the members of the coalition will not understand that they need to fight for what they have, this coalition is not going to stick. Well, on that note, I just... We'll have to see if uh, Bennett's able to keep his party together. You know, he's been flying around the uh, around the world and in Europe trying to mediate between Russia and Ukraine. Yet back home, all it takes is one member of his party to just turn his entire world upside down. So 
he's acting more as a clerk than as a leader. And if he will not start changing that, I don't see that, you know, that he's going to stay a prime minister for long. And on that note, Kobe, it was great speaking with you again. Thank you for having me on. And I look forward to speaking on this, this issue again. Hopefully it won't be another election because then I'll have to uh, come on every week as, uh, as was the case. You see, and that was a great fun, Jeff. So I'm looking forward to get another round of election now. <laughs> Not really, but it's always great having you here, Jeff. So thank you for joining me today. And enjoy Israel. And on that note, happy Passover to all of our Jewish uh, listeners. And uh, happy Easter to our Christian uh, followers. And Ramadan Karim to our uh, Muslim uh, followers. And I really hope that we do have some uh, Muslim followers. And happy Thursday to our atheist and agnostic followers. Oh my God, Jeff, you see, you youngsters, you can take anything seriously. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.